0: you have heard it a lot over the last week or so, but I am really glad to say it to all of you again. It is uh, my desire that you would have a Happy New Year. So let me say it, Happy New Year. I want your year to be a happy one. Now, we know, don't we, uh, that as many times as we've heard that, those words uh, uh, these, uh, these couple of weeks or whatever they've been, those words, uh, not to be at all harsh or critical, but, but just as an honest observation, those words are often said um, in a mindless sort of a way, right? It's just a proper greeting for this time of the year. But when you think about them, if you really think about them, you understand that they're really a kind of a wish or, or maybe even a sort of a blessing um, intended to express a desire for good things to come into the lives of others. And as far as that goes, that's a pretty good thing. There, there is more, however, that can be said, and we're going to say it. <laughs> uh, most of us here understand that God is really less concerned about a person's happiness in the short run anyway than in their holiness. So if it were a choice between the two, then of course holiness is much more important. If happiness, again in in the short term, needs to be sacrificed so that holiness will grow, then let it be sacrificed. But there really is no getting around the fact that God really does want us to be happy. And in the end, that is what he wants for his people, that they be happy. Happiness without holiness is short-lived and quickly fades away. But happiness built on holiness is our destiny as the children of God. Sometimes, as believers, we want to make a distinction, uh, don't we? I mean, a legitimate distinction uh, in this lifetime between happiness and joy. Uh, We know, don't we, really, that uh, we will not be happy as we go through our trials in life, but we can still have joy in the midst of them as we remember that God loves us and will bring good to us through all of that. In the end, however, the distinction between joy and happiness really drops away because there will never be, there's a day coming when there will never be anything again to take away the happiness which God wants for us. So, so as a believer, I, I, when I wish someone a happy new year, I mean it. <laughs> I want it uh, to be a blessed year for you. And even when trials come, I know that God will see you through to the other side and will bring blessings into your life. Now, in my many years of ministry, I have always, uh, I think without exception, if I was preaching on uh, what we might call a New Year Sunday, I've always tried to communicate something from God's Word, which would help give some eternal perspective to the start of a new year. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning expresses many of those truths that we've just been talking about. And it really is, I think, a good passage to begin a new year with. It's a really rather well-known few verses of Scripture, often memorized and often quoted. We have it uh, written on one of the walls in our living room, and every morning as I sit there on the sofa and drink my coffee and read my Bible and pray, I see those words. And they are a reminder to me that God has plans for me, and he has plans for those that I love. And they are good plans, which will ultimately bring about our complete happiness. Now, one verse uh, that's written on our wall is found in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, and you can join me there if you'd like, and of course it'll be on the screen on either side of me. me. Let me read it for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, many of you, even if you can't quite quote it, could share the gist of it, for it really is well known uh, in our world and especially in Christian circles. I have to tell you, I really appreciate the way that Jeremiah wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. He tells us that this is what God declares. That is, God is stating clearly his express purpose for his people. His plan for you and me is to prosper us. It's not to harm us. It's for us to have hope and for us to know that we have a future. God is saying, through Jeremiah, here's the plan. You want to know what I'm going to do? Well, here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I want to talk briefly about each of those four parts, uh, the prosperity along with the fact that God doesn't intend to us harm, and the hope and the future which are ours because of him. But before I do that, we need to put this passage into its context so we can really appreciate it, so we can really understand it. Now, that passage I just read is a principle, and that principle is always true, but it's applied specifically in this text to a particular situation and verse 10 gives us that context and we read there this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place now for those who are not familiar with the Old Testament they may not get the idea here at such a quick reading so so let me make it clear uh, it's that last phrase that's really revealing. Where God says, I will bring you back to this place. See, that's going to happen after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. That so God has been warning his people for many years that if they didn't change, he was going to make that change happen. And the way he was going to do that is he was going to send them into captivity. It would be as if God were saying to us, to you and I, to us, to we people who are here today, that I'm going to take your country away from you. You're going to be conquered by a people that hate you. And not only will they conquer you, but they'll take you out of this land and they'll take you into one where you'll be a foreigner and an alien where you won't know the language or the customs, where you will have to not just start over, but but start from a place behind the beginning where you'll have to labor and strive just to get to the starting line. And that situation isn't going to end. It isn't going to change for 70 years. And it's then, after saying that, that God talks to them about the plans he has for you know, before God can do the good that he wants to do for them, he has to get them to a place where they can receive that good. He, he told them, he'd warned them, he'd drawn them with cords of loving kindness, and they took no need, no heed. And so now he will do what he must do so in the end they can be truly happy. And right here, It's really a good place to deal with one of those four uh, ideas in that theme verse that we first looked at. God does not intend to harm us. And you can see why he would say that here, can't you? I mean, he's going to do something that's going to hurt, but it's not because he wants to harm them. Now, if you stop and you think about it for a moment, isn't this really what most parents uh, have to do multiple times in the lives of their children? And that, that is if they really love them, if they really want them to have the best. Uh, if they haven't been frozen by fear, by the advice of know-nothings, know-it-alls, <laughs> who shrilly cry out their mantra, don't inhibit the children, when a great deal of what children do greatly needs inhibiting sometimes because we love our children not in meanness but for their sake we have to do things which they won't like and if we don't do them now we'll hurt them more later we'll cause them greater grief in the future than by correcting them in the now and that's exactly what God is doing here he's not Arming them as hard as it is as hard as this thing is going to be Now, verse 14 tells us the end result, uh, what that end result will be for the nation of the Israelites. And we read there, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. So that's what's going to happen. God will bring them back to where he wanted them to be in the first place, the place where he would be their God and they would be his people. So Maybe a, a small illustration might help us to understand this. You know, when our kids were, were little and we would take them into a restaurant and— uh, Well, we do that, but we simply wouldn't let them run around and misbehave or carry on. We expected them to act like they were civilized, even though we knew that that was still a work in progress. And nothing we asked of them was beyond their ability. If they misbehaved, we called them on it, and they knew if they didn't change their ways, then there would be a price to be paid. You know, when they got a bit older and really even before they reached their teenage years, actually, and we went into a restaurant where there were children whose parents were letting them run wild, you know what our kids would say? They would say to us how glad they were that we didn't allow them to act that way. You see, we held the reins on our children until they could hold the reins themselves, until they could keep to the right way and that's exactly what God was doing in the lives of the Israelites he, he had tried to correct them but they didn't listen and so, so he did what he did not to harm them but to change them and to make them into the kind of people he could bless and when they finally did return to the land they were a changed people so here's the plan God doesn't want to harm us He wants to prosper us. He wants us to have a hope. He wants us to have a future. And that's exactly what he's doing in your life and in mine. Now, now we've already talked about the fact that he doesn't want to harm us. But what's meant when he says that he wants to prosper us? Oh, you'll hear that term preached in lots of different churches, right? The prosperity gospel stuff. Well, let me just get that financial aspect of prosperity out of the way at first. I have to tell you, it's really the least important way in which God will prosper us. It's certainly not the focus of what he's saying here. The truth is, um, some of the most unhappy people in all the world are the wealthy. And that old Saul really is true. Money really cannot buy happiness. Now, God isn't against money. I mean, he's against the love of money. I have to tell you, it's really much better to have to rely on God because you don't have a big bank account than to have a bank account which keeps you from relying on him. And he knows what it is that will really make us happy. And and here's the truth, my friends. The the, the greatest things in life, the things that God wants to prosper in our lives, the thing he wants to bring about and and cause to grow, are relationships. See, all of the money in the world cannot bring a loved one back from death. All of the money in the world cannot fix a shattered life. All of the money in the world cannot heal the broken heart. That old saw is true. No one on their deathbed ever wished they'd spent more time in the office. Relationships are the real treasures in life. And God wants us to have them. He wants us to have a relationship with him. That's the most important one. But he also wants us to have relationships with other people. I mean, in the garden, it was God Almighty who said before sin entered the world, while man walked with God, it was God who said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he wants us to have relationships, and he wants us to have a real relationship relationships, a relationship with him and with others, relationships that are filled with love and understanding and friendship and caring and joy. And that is real prosperity. That is a prosperity that will last for eternity. And that's what God wants for us. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to have to do this. I I, I hate to have to do this. but I have to give you another illustration using my kids. <laughs> but I don't know a better one to make this point. Um, you know, Anne and I uh, pretty much close the church down each Sunday. I mean, usually we're the last ones to leave. Pretty much all the time. And, and it's not because it's our job to lock the church up, but it's because we are spending time with people, as many people as we can. And it's really always been that way. And our children know it. And and they've been pretty good sports about it over the years, uh, though they haven't always liked it. (laughs) And we often told them, you know, how much we appreciated their patience. And we would remind them that relationships are the most important and enjoyable things in life. Uh, But they didn't always get it. When they were younger, uh, they endured, but they didn't really get that. They just didn't see how talking to people could be so good. (laughs) But, you know, God uh, has been good. And and they get it now. Uh, They understand now. and, And that understanding is going to grow with time. You know, our daughter Adeline loved sitting with us at that table and talking with us Christmas Eve. Our son Doug. Son earl. It's relationships. It's how precious they are and how good they are. And that's what God wants for us. He wants our relationships to prosper. He wants us to know the joy of real relationships. That's what this text tells us. That's his plans for you and I. And and then he tells us that he wants us to have hope. <laughs> Actually, the text says That he wants to give us hope. You know, psychologists will tell you that people cannot live without hope. And they will tell you that people who have hope uh, can face hard things in life and and they tend to live longer. Uh, Even uh, even a false hope. Believing, for instance, that uh, you will be healed of some disease, even if you really won't, can make a difference. But the hope that God gives is beyond all of that. It's not a hope so kind of a hope. Uh, it's not mere wishful thinking. It's a, it's a confident expectation that God is God and that he will do what's best for you. And that kind of hope is uh, it's as real as a rock and it's just as solid. It's something you can stand on. It's a shelter from the storms of life that come our way. It allows you to see heaven even when you seem to be standing in hell. It can make you look death in the face and laugh at him because he's a defeated foe. From that solid place of hope, real hope, the hope that God gives that like confident expectation that God is God and that He's gonna have the last word and that last word is good. It's from that place that we can live our life in confidence and peace, and it's from that place that we can face death. Pastor Jen gave me a, a book for Christmas. I feel so awful. I didn't get him anything for Christmas. What am I gonna do? Give him two gifts next year. I mean, But he gave me this book about the church fathers and and um and I brought it home and Anne picked it up and she um read one of the stories in it. she kind of picked it up and started in the middle and she read about a a woman, Perpetua I think was her name and and this was a young girl who became a Christian and she had a slave girl who was a Christian And, um, and she was condemned for her faith and her father came and begged her, renounce Jesus renounce him so you'll live and she refused to do it and so they took her and her slave girl and they put her in the arena to be fed to the animals. But, but they were naked. That's what they, the way they did it, you know. And the people in the stands saw how young the girl was and saw that the slave girl was a mother. And so they took him out of the arena and they, they put the clothing on him, but they still wouldn't. They put a tunic on him and still wouldn't renounce Christ. They took him back out there, and one of the animals charged him and tore the tunic. and and perpetual just uh, took it. She was more concerned about her modesty than her life and wrapped it back around her. They brought her back out again. Still, they wouldn't renounce Christ. And she said while she was standing there, when is this thing going to start? Not realizing that she'd already been cut. And they took her back out again and fed them to the animals. How, how does someone do that? It's because they have hope that's solid, that's real. It's confident expectation of what God is going to do. And that's what God wants for his people. That's why he will do what he needs to do in our lives to get us to that place where he can give us that kind of hope. God doesn't want to harm us. He wants to prosper us, and he wants us to have hope. And then he wants us to know that we have a future. Now, this doesn't mean uh, just that there will be a future. <laughs> of course there will be for everyone. But not everyone will like what their future holds. Yet for us who know Christ, what that means to us is that our future is bright. <laughs> uh, it, it's lit, I, and I've been told that that's a pretty popular word young people today i wouldn't know it but our future is lit through and through with the light of the glory of god i mean we might go through darkness now but we were meant to live in the light we may go through hard times now but god created us for happiness unending and unmarred and he wants us to know that and knowing that really matters It helps us to put all of life into perspective. The good things that we might have in this life and the hard things, it puts it into real perspective for us. Whatever good we've known, whatever hardships we must endure, the best, the best, the very best is yet to come. And that's God's plan for us. If we belong to him, if we've come to Christ, He, he intends to prosper us. He will never harm us. He will give us hope. He wants us to know we have a future. And he will do what he must do to bring us to a place where he can really make us happy. The Israelites were carried into captivity. But when their hearts changed, God brought them home again. So now I have a question for you. What was the change that came over their heart? What, what was it that allowed God to bless them? You know, verses 12 and 13 in this passage tells us, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's that last phrase that's key. Seeking God with all of our heart changes our heart. Now, look, I know that that's not always easy. I fail at that all the time. The key is to keep on keeping on. Change comes to our hearts when we really seek God with all of us. And I am going to come back and look at that a little bit more in just a moment, but I want us to notice what's going on here in this passage. The Israelites were conquered and carried into captivity, and then they looked to God. The picture here is of someone who's standing far off, and realizing his or her need and how desperate their situation was and calling out to God. I mean, you can almost hear the anguish in the very words themselves. They called out to God. And then he or she returns or goes to God. They realize now, they realize they had been far from him. They had turned away from the best of all good. They were in a very place that they deserved because of the way they had lived without God and with barely a thought to God. They called on him, they turned to him, and then he or she prays. I mean really prays, recognizing their true need. And then only God can meet that need. And something happens to us when we get to that point. See, we, we realize that the land that we were taken out of or the, the money we so desired or the things that we thought were so important are really just so much dust compared to who God is and what he offers. What we now want now is not the land or the money or the things, but God himself. And we seek Him with all of our hearts, and that's when God listens. <laughs> he says, "At that point, He'll hear." Now, now, let me do that. He's free to begin to truly bless us. But don't you get the idea, having looked at this passage, that if uh, someone was to seek God with all of their heart, that they could avoid the heartaches? Uh, which his discipline would bring them. Uh, That they could know his real blessing now, today, in our lives. Yeah, I I think that's true. Uh, With one proviso, sometimes, sometimes, even those who seek God with all their heart are still carried off into captivity. You know, careful reading in the Old Testament will show you there were many faithful people who went into captivity though they themselves didn't deserve it. And as hard as that is to understand, that too is part of God's plan. Those people who sought God with all of their heart when all the world around them was going its own way, they were the very people who were able, who were prepared, who would know, and trust God, and they were the ones who uh, would lead others back to God in that place of captivity. They were the ones that would bring those in darkness back into the light. Now, you know what? If enough people had turned, if enough had begun to seek God with all of their hearts, then that captivity could have been avoided. And so the best way to help people... um, to avoid captivity (laughs) to help yourself avoid it the best way to, to help people to turn to God is to be right with God yourself you can't do something better than that but if you have to go into captivity and sometimes we must how much better is it to go with God with God at your side. How much better than going alone without Him, without His strength, and without His comfort. So here's the plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a can hear him whisper and I will do whatever it takes to make that happen. As hard as it might be, it's worth it. So, may I, once again, with those thought in mind, a happy new year to you and may God bless you today and every day would you pray with me please thanks uh, once again for your faithfulness to us thank you Lord that you're faithful you speak the good things to us but you will tell us those things we need to hear you have blessed us abundantly every good and perfect gift we've ever had has come from you you will take us as your dear children and you will discipline us as need be. And we're told not to despise that discipline, but to realize that you treat us as children. Now that's what we are, not because of any good thing we've ever done, but because of our Savior who died in our place on that cross. And it's in his name that we offer you ourselves this day.